Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Talking Transfers from the Nighty Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by Nighty Min's transfer correspondent, Graham Bailey, and Nighty Min's top cat, Toby Cudworth. But I should probably address Graham Bailey as Nighty Min, maybe not 90 Min match play champion, but certainly weekend match, match play champion, Graham. Big weekend for you. Yeah, a lovely weekend playing Rockcliffe Hall, actually, the home of Middlesbrough Football Club's training facility, also home of one of Europe's best golf courses, and uh, I was lucky enough to take away a bit of silverware. And then watch the mighty Cleveland Browns beat San Francisco, so it's a very good weekend, all told for me. Toby, how's it going? You you got stuck into some Rugby World Cup, two of the best matches you might, you're likely to see, I think. Did my utmost, yeah, to steer away from international football, because i that bores me to tears. I think I've said that previously. Uh, Rugby World Cup, different story. Four really good quarterfinals. Typically, England's was the blandest of the four. And undoubtedly, we will get pumped in the semifinals. But uh, France versus South Africa, so I'm sure you'll both agree, was probably one of the best rugby matches I've ever watched. High quality stuff. I spent my Sunday night at Wales 2, Croatia 1, which is... Uh... Interesting. Wales might have just turned their uh, qualification campaign around for the Euros. England have qualified. Scotland have qualified as well. And uh, there's a number of teams booking their tickets to the tournament in Germany next summer. We're still in the international break. Nearly over. I know it's it's a glum time for most football fans who just won their fix of Premier League VAR mistakes and disallowed goals and red cards, which should never have been red cards, and Man City winning every week. Although they've lost their last three games, haven't they? So, interesting stuff. Today, we'll talk about transfers, though, and ownership and manager changes and this kind of thing, because that's what we do on Talking Transfers. We'll talk Manchester United's takeover process. Sorry, but that is a big story. We will talk about Sir Jim Ratcliffe beating Sheikh Jassim to the punch to get his hands on Manchester United. We'll talk about who he could bring to Old Trafford with him if this deal is ratified, which could happen on Thursday. We'll talk if a former Liverpool sporting director could end up at Manchester United. We'll talk about Liverpool and their current sporting director situation, a player they're targeting. We'll talk England's potential next manager after Gareth Southgate, who maybe will be leaving his post finally after Euro 2024. We'll talk Sandro Tonali and the trouble around him at the moment and a new Belgian wonder kid on the agendas at Manchester City, Tottenham and Arsenal. Nightman.com for all the latest from us. Nightman.com forward slash talking transfers for all the latest transfer news. And that Nightman underscore football for all the latest from the team. Please subscribe to the show on all your major podcast platforms and follow us on social media ourselves as well at double underscore Scott Saunders, at Graham Bailey and at Toby underscore Cudworth. But let's get into the mix now. Graham, Sir Jim wins. 25% of Manchester United is, it looks like that's going to be what he's going to get. Negotiation processes seem to have, they seem to be coming to a close. Uh, Obviously, we don't know the full picture currently uh but this is with a view 
to down the line taking full control of United. But he will at least, by the looks of it, have sporting control for the time being. Yeah, that that has been part of the process within his talks, you know, Scott. And, and the Glazers, you know, for all everyone condemning them, they, they've never micromanaged Manchester United. They've always allowed the people on the ground to take care of it, the situation. And that's one aspect that Jim Ratcliffe wants to take charge of and, and revamp the footballing, sporting management of the club. And that's something he will do. He'll look to bring his own people in, you know, He's already got Jean-Claude Blanc, the former PSG man, who'll probably come in and do a lot of commercial stuff. He's already part of Ineos. He's, he's a good fit. And as you said, we are talking about the likes of Paul Mitchell. Um, most likely, him, from what we're hearing, Michael Edwards has been linked, but don't think that one's got any legs in it, really. Um, but they are looking at these people who are strong performers, Scott, which I think from a United fan's point of view, they are, they are strong performers in that field. And it's something you want to see. They're, they're good footballing people. They know the transfer market. No. Rich Arnold and John Murta have had a tough time of it in, in some aspects. So I think they will be maybe not getting replaced, but they'll be having to work with other people and maybe maybe a demotion maybe for, for, for both of them, if not um, one of them. So we'll see how it progresses. But yeah, this is a whole process for Radcliffe. He sees um, taking control of United... Um, as, as the overall as the overall pitcher's gone, as we reported earlier in the month, this was just the first hurdle, wasn't it? This was, he, he saw this coming from a long time ago. It was the start of August we said that he'd moved to the minority um, bid because he knew the the biggest stake wasn't going to happen. So he 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 moved, maneuvered himself in this way. He's going to get around twenty five percent. I don't think fact that has been finalised just yet, but. I think it's sensible. And then if I was United fans, yes, the Glazers are staying put in some way, but we've been saying that for quite a lot of months, Scott, that our feeling was that the Glazers weren't going anywhere. That's how it's transpired. But And and, and what I would point out as well, from what I'm being told, is that the Glazers want Ratcliffe to be successful. They want him to come in and revamp the footballing department because if he do, if he makes that a success, then they're going to be a lot closer to getting their £10 billion valuation off Sir Jim. So it ticks every box. They want Sir Jim to come in and be a success. Toby, uh, outside this perspective, obviously the the United fans in the majority have been full sale only. It's been, you know, full sale or or not or nothing. But you know, Sheikh Jassim was obviously the one promising the world, really. Even though. You know, we haven't really, we've, he's not made a public appearance in this whole process. This whole eleven months, we've not we've, we've seen a couple of pictures. Um, this seems to have upset United fans, at least in the, over the weekend, anyway. In terms of you know the deflation nature that the, the Glazers are still going to be there. Uh, what's what's your take on it? Because personally, I think i don't think this is all bad i don't think this is all bad if uh sir jim can come in and take control of the football department and put people in place who can make united compete off the pitch and and on the eventually on the pitch with the likes of you know liverpool and arsenal if they put the right processes in place like those two clubs have over the last few years it shows you can actually compete at the very top of the league uh what, what's your take on the whole process well, as Graham said, I think it's been clear for certainly the last three to six months that the Glazers probably had no intention of walking away from the club and this was their preferred route. I think a staggered approach is the best way for United to address some of the problems that they've got. 
in an ideal world, a full takeover solves everything. And yes, you upgrade stadium facilities, you get a brand new training ground, you fix all of the issues that United have got on the footballing side of things. But football doesn't work like that. And I think Sir Jim coming in, taking around 25%, if that's what the overall figure is, and just addressing some of the core problems first is what United need. It's got to be a step-by-step process. They're not immediately going to become the best football club in the Premier League again. It's going to take years to do that. And I think Qatar's bid, I don't want to say it was fanciful, but it was promising a lot, as you've said there, Scott. And for all of those pieces to come together immediately was extremely unlikely. And you have to factor in the competition as well in the Premier League. You know, City, Liverpool, Arsenal, uh, Chelsea now with the deepest pockets in the Premier League. United have got to address the footballing side of things first and they've got to ensure that they're competitive on that side of things. So Jim's got experience. Yes, it's at Nice. It's at a lower level of football, but he has understanding of how the sport works, first and foremost. Um, His company, Ineos, are principal partners of Mercedes, so they're used to being successful at the highest level of Formula One. And I think United probably need a little bit of a shake-up in terms of who's making the decisions in regards to playing staff, transfers, supporting Eric Ten Hag. As Graham's touched on, I think phasing John Murta and Richard Arnold perhaps out of that process gradually is a good thing. I would anticipate John Murtagh could actually leave the club, I guess, in the next 12 months or so if Sir Jim potentially gets his way and brings in the people that he wants and bringing in a sporting director, somebody like Paul Mitchell, I think, again, would be a good thing for United to kind of get a grip on what's been a roller coaster. Certainly last 18 months or so, Eric Ten Hag has gone in and um, people's expectations have rocketed again, haven't they, Scott? They thought that was the fix to all problems. That was never going to be the case. And Qatar not going in, I think ultimately it's for the benefit of United long term. Qatar going in was obviously the, the, the big story for 11 months or so, Graham. Uh, just, to, just to touch on that, I mean... I've seen suggestions, not not from us really, but it's been thrown around on social media and through other channels over the last 24 hours or so that, hey, Sheikh Jassim would have signed Kylian Mbappe and Kamavinga and all these kinds of players. Is that not just the same mistakes United have been making for the last 10 years? Maybe not with Mbappe, but you know, the, the, the profile player. And especially with a, hey, this is the owner, I'm going to decide decide who's signing. Yeah, I, I just think it was a car crash written all over it, really. You know, there was, for... for yeah, you can throw money money at a situation to a certain extent, but in football, you have to get it right, and and it just not screams of sour grapes, but you know, it just screams as people who were pretty clueless. Joe, um, Mbappe, Camavinga, um, Coleman. Yeah, United, United have just come through a window where they struggled to make financial fair play. Then, you know, if it's <laughs> how on earth could they manage to fit fit those three players in? For example, anyway, in one year, Scott, you know, it's it, it's a ludicrous fancy fanciful is the best way I would suggest it. Absolutely fanciful. But there are, you know, we we heard from them throughout this process. They were always confident when I spoke to people close to the Qatari camp. They were ne- nothing but confident all the way through. Obviously, we had to report that, but we never, whether we took that seriously or not, Scott, I'm not so sure we did. And, yeah, we're not being wise in hindsight, but we, we could see this coming from a long way out. And and I agree with you, Scott. I saying, if, if he was really serious about United uh, and he's been in five, six billion, you know, 
it's, it's an awful lot of money, of course it is. But he, in, uh, in his position, um, the Sheikh had access to more, a lot more than this money. Just come in and, and bid eight billion. If you really, if you're re, if you really love United to the extent that he said he did, obviously he founded a foundation named after the class of '92. Yeah, if you love the club that much, do everything in your you can to buy the club. Blow Sir Jim, Sir Jim out the water. Make the Glazers an offer that's too good to turn down. You, you try to lowball all the Glazers. I'd love to know who was advising him to do that because anyone thought that was going to work. It's absolutely ludicrous. If you really wanted them, you're really serious. Go in there, bid at least six, but put an put an eight billion pound offer in and see where that would get you. See how seriously the Glazers are. I think if he bid eight, I think he would have got the club. That's the thing, Graham. Uh, we've talked on this podcast and said, did we really know if the Glazers wanted to sell the club? Did they actually want to sell the club? Fact of the matter is, their asking price was never met throughout the entire process. So Jim has probably got close to it through a phased offer. But my big takeaway from this, after seeing the Qatar bid fall apart, I know there's, there's obviously accusations of, of sports washing and, and this kind of thing. Qatar have managed to convince a legion of Man United fans that they, they are the, the saviors of Manchester United. And they're going to do the training ground. They're going to upgrade Old Trafford. They're going to build a new stadium. They're going to renovate the, the, the playing staff, everything. You're going to sign Kylian Mbappe, these kinds of players and make United comp comp competitors with Manchester City for the next, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. Put them right back at the top. They've done that. And now fans are really upset that that, that hasn't happened. But they never met the asking price. So they've, they've gone through this entire 11-month process of convincing an army of Man United fans that this is the best thing for them. They've managed to do it without spending any money. It's, inc it's really incredible stuff. It's, 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 it's incredible for me. Um, but obviously that's not going to happen. Uh, maybe they'll look somewhere else, uh, look at another club. I've seen suggestions over the last few days of Inter, you know. That's yeah, so well, Tottenham's, Tottenham's name Tottenham. called. But if, if he shows an interest, you know, how, how, how much love do they have for United if he is going for another club? Although, as we saw, Sir Jim was in the bidding for Chelsea not so long ago. I think that was more business-related in terms of his love of the club. But although he did have a sin ticket, I believe, at Chelsea at one point. But yeah, these um yeah, it's how 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 much of a desire did he have um Sheikh Jassim to get the club? I do I do question that a little bit. So uh Sheikh Jassim out of the running. This should be ratified on Thursday. Mm. Sporting control is what is conditional, I think. It, it's it's what uh Jim Ratcliffe wants, mm -hmm. and he wants to assume it straight away. There's a two and a half months-ish before the next transfer window. We've we've mentioned already Richard Arnold and uh, John Murter, who are in charge of the football operation at the moment. And Graham, you mentioned just now they've had a <laughs> they've had some difficult things difficult uh, things to manage over the last eighteen months or so uh, to come through. But uh, Ratcliffe, you mentioned Blanc as well. Sir Dave Brailsford probably be involved somehow. And, but let's talk about let's talk Michael Edwards first because I think his name has, has popped up. Graham, is this just a case of he is on the list of potentials, but not really that likely? Obviously, did a brilliant job at Liverpool. Yeah, I'm told he's not actively looking um, for that sort of role at this moment in time. Um, he's obviously been mentioned because you know he's technically available. 
um, doing the work. You know, Chelsea looked at him. Chelsea spoke to him, didn't they? I think Tottenham looked at him as well. So he's just not in that position. Um, United, yeah, obviously the people around Ratcliffe have told him who he'll be he'll be asking his people um, who are the best available. And Edwards' name will be coming up. But yeah, it's not my understanding that it, that he's in the running um, to go in there. Unlike Paul Mitchell, who we know is um, is available. Um, and despite his prior ties, links, links with other clubs in Manchester, Paul Mitchell, um, rumours that he does support someone else, but I don't think that would stop him coming into United. Um, I think he's a very safe pair of hands, did a fantastic job at Monaco, did a good job at Tottenham beforehand. I think he's the one to watch out for. We know, we know Sir Jim, who is um, a Monaco resident, obviously knows him a little bit from their time in Monte Carlo together. So... Yeah, I, th- I think Mitchell is the one. He's he's the one I'm hearing anyway from sources. He's the one whose name's coming up, and um, he'll be a fa- just ultimately a very sensible appointment, Scott. Which we don't say very often with United. It's always it's always something of the other, isn't it? But uh, I think he would be a thoroughly sensible appointment and something United do need. Yeah, Toby. I mean, this kind of profile of uh, I think he's only 42 as well. He's he's not too old. Uh, he's got a lot of experience already jumped around a few clubs, but has a track record of signing, you know, young players before they hit their peaks. I think of I think he brought Son in at Spurs, Alderweireld to Southampton, and obviously he's worked with uh, the Red Bull group as well. Ralph Ranick was an advocate of him coming in, like when he was at the club as well. Obviously that didn't happen, and John Mert has been maybe given the equivalent kind of job. Uh, but United have not been smart in the market. They've not had a plan from a sporting director really ever, let's be honest, or since Sir Alex Ferguson. That, that was, he was everything, wasn't he? So Graham mentioned earlier on that the Glazers have been really hands-off and have allowed people be- beneath them to to run the sporting matters. And usually identifying players seems to fall on the manager. And now United have gone down the Eric Ten Hag path and they've signed players who he wants to sign and there's already pressure on Eric Ten Hag because results aren't going well. So what, what do you think? If he's going to lose his job in December, they have to then go and rebuild a squad with Eric Ten Hag's players, plus Jose Mourinho's players, plus Van Gaal's players, and all of this kind of thing. Paul Mitchell would be sensible, Toby. He'd certainly be sensible in terms of future recruitment. He'd have a hell of a job on his hands getting some of the players out of the club. Um, United have a lot of fat to trim in that respect. I think the one thing that you can say about Eric Ten Hag's time at the club so far, yes, he's managed to get the majority of the players that he's wanted to sign, but the deals themselves have seen United overpay in almost all cases. Anthony, they overpaid. I would say Mason Mount, they overpaid. Rasmus Hoyland, they overpaid. He looks like he's going to be a wonderful player, but for what he's achieved in the game so far, they probably overpaid. And Paul Mitchell has got that track record. He's not quite as glamorous as Michael Edwards because Michael Edwards did it at Liverpool and that obviously makes everybody sit up and take notice. But Paul Mitchell's done some very good work at Spurs, Monaco, as you've said. And I think United have got to change their approach to the transfer market. And they've fundamentally, they've got to listen to new ideas and they've got to understand that they've operated poorly over the last decade or so since Sir Alex left. And it probably is going to be a process, isn't it, Scott? Even if Paul Mitchell comes in, it's not immediately going to be fixed. It will need two or three years to get the infrastructure in place. 
one or two players may come in during that period. But he will need trust and he will need backing. And if Sir Jim is going to take over the football side of things, he's probably going to be the man to put that trust in Paul Mitchell because of their prior relationship and knowing of each other. Um, It's what United need, but fans have got to have patience. Otherwise, this whole project is not going to come together if there's this continued backdrop of discontent and noise. Just one one more thing on United, Graham. How do Sir Jim Ratcliffe and the Glazer family coexist and does shared ownership ever work? Well, I, I think I think it's quite easy for them to coexist, you know, because obviously Joel Navram will be there um, sporadically as they are, as Sir Jim will. Like everyone at United, although Jim will be hands-on, let's not forget, he's only allowed in the UK for three months a year because he is a Monaco resident. Um, he's a, he's a tax, tax exile and one of many in, in Monte Carlo in the Principality. So he, he will be hands-on, but it'll be all it'll be via Monaco. Um, I think it, as as said before, Scott. I think it will coexist quite well because the Glazers will give will let will give him room to to work on the football department. They'll give him they'll they'll green light the finances to do so, and they'll let him get on with it. The the one one of the few plus points of the Glazers is they haven't micromanaged the situation. Some United fans would argue it could have done with a bit more micromanaging, to be honest. Um, but you know, it's that it's that it's that thing, isn't it? Where and I think you know, I think it's a good thing for Sir Jim. He he's he's that um, as an area that he can manage himself, he can improve, and the Glazers will let him do it. So I don't think there's an issue there. Yeah, the commercial bit, um, and you know, if he comes in and improves the commercial bit, the Glazers are going great. Bit more, bit more money we can take out the club. <laughs> so they're going to be happy. They're going to be happy no matter if, if they're going to allow Ratcliffe to get this right. And I think I think it's a positive for United. I think it's a huge positive, Scott. Yeah, if you want the Glazers out completely, you will deem it as not a positive. But look, they'll continue to spend money, and now the people spending the money at Old Trafford are likely to be better than the people who were. Yes, obviously the the comparison that's been made over the last nine to eleven months has been. Unlimited wealth versus, you know, ownership ownership like the one that United are going to end up getting. But obviously, very important to remember that that offer means nothing if it doesn't convince the Glazers to sell. These are just promises that have been. But mo- made. but mon- money, Scott, is, is nothing like this. The, you know, money. It's all about good recruitment. It's not about money. And hey, yeah, we do, do, we've got yeah. a brilliant recruitment series you can read on Ninety Min. I've got exclusive with Michael Aminalo coming this week. It's it's all about recruitment. It's got to be good recruitment. But good recruitment off the pitch, which is where United have come into this. Yeah, yeah. They may have struggled um, with the summer signs, but it's about recruitment off the pitch. So Paul Mitchell is part of that recruitment process. Him being recruited in the first place. It's it's not just purely being the richest club in the world, as we've seen with PSG, doesn't always give you the biggest prizes. It's all about good recruitment. Let's move to Liverpool. We've mentioned Michael Edwards already. Uh, Graham has obviously just mentioned there that it's not, not well, not likely really that Michael Edwards will be ended up at Old Trafford. It does, from, from our understanding anyway, Paul Mitchell seems the leading candidate for that position as sporting director. But Liverpool have their own problems or have had their own problems regarding a sporting director. Uh, there are, they filled the role in the summer. It was a temporary fix for Jörg Schmadke. And Max Ebel, who is uh, used to be part of the Red Bull group, has been linked with 
a potential move into Liverpool as Liverpool try and decide what they do long-term in this position. Uh, but Graham, where, where do we stand on that at the moment? Is, uh, is he doing a good enough job to stay longer? Yeah, uh, Liverpool are looking at a situation at this point in time. They don't have one long-term signed up. Schmatka, as you say, Scott, he came in the summer temporarily. It was only meant to be three months. We're already past that. My understanding is that he could very well stay. They thought he did a very good job in the in the, in the summer window. You know, they failed to get likes of Lavia and Casado, but it wasn't through a lack of agreement in terms of, uh, like, they did their job in terms of agreeing the deal. It was the players who... Who didn't who didn't agree to the deal, which isn't technically Schmadka's fault, you know. I mean, he was being pushed to get the deal done, and then he he went and got McAllister, Zobislai, Gravenberch, and Endo late in the window, which I actually think I, I, I'm not saying Gravenberch and Endo will become Liverpool legends or whatever, but getting them to him was pretty crucial at the time, and 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 the way those deals were done quickly, you know, I I, I thought he did very well. Um, but Max Abel is um, someone who everyone related to Germany, German football rates very highly. He did a wonderful job with the Red Bull organisation. He's available. Bayern Munich want him on their supervisory board. You know, once he goes in there, he may become or get other roles as well. But he's part of that. It's a glorified transfer committee, isn't it, really? Who oversees the whole club. They see him as a huge talent. And Liverpool, for their part, doing they're looking at the option of Abel coming into to Anfield. They've spoken to him. Does appear that buying a firm favourites to get him, but Liverpool have asked the question. As you, it, it, they're a well-run club, and they're asking the question. If someone's available, you ask the question, and and so that's what they're doing. But yeah, um, we'll see how it goes. I said buying a favourites for him, but it wouldn't surprise me if Schmacker stayed. I think Schmacker's done a fine job so far under the circumstance. Toby, if there's a obviously talking off the pitch, there you look at Liverpool this season. They've signed four midfielders. You'd think that that is probably maybe not sorted, but you know, Endo is seemed to be like more of a a, a short term plaster. The other three probably longer term acquisitions for that. Maybe they still need a number six. What, what positions do having seen Liverpool already this season? What positions do you think might be next on the agenda for them? I think they do need to further strengthen that midfield. I think a, a better defensive midfielder needs to come in. We've seen Alexis McAllister start in that role in a couple of games. Um, he's more of a playmaking defensive midfielder, is he? isn't he? He's not going to hold things together in terms of a traditional anchor. Um, I had that miscommunication with Virgil van Dijk at Brighton. So I think they're going to look to strengthen there. I think a centre-back is pretty crucial for Liverpool right now. Van Dijk is not at the peak of his powers, but it's still the best option that they've got. But Ibrahima Konate has struggled with injuries. Joel Matip, very up and down in terms of the consistency of his performances. And Joe Gomez, just on the periphery, isn't he? Fills in at right back for Trent Alexander-Arnold every now and again. But I don't think he's got the trust of Jurgen Klopp. And unfortunately, I don't think he's got the ability for what Liverpool needs to continue being in the title mix. And I think Liverpool have started the season well. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
given Manchester City's early failings or the last couple of defeats that they've had. Liverpool will think that they can be in the mix for the title. So in January, I would expect them to try and sign a centre-back, try and sign a defensive midfielder and maybe another player on top of that, depending on what's available to them. But those are the two areas that I think Jurgen Klopp would want to address first. And that's not to say that they didn't have a good summer window in the end, because I think they did, as you've touched on there, Graham. It was impressive late business to do what they did. They just now will want to build on that and see what comes of it at the end of the season. Graham, they are are looking at centre-max. Virgil van Dijk scored a penalty against Greece to, uh, well, an injury time penalty last night as we speak to give Netherlands a, a vital win in qualifying. But he's the wrong side of 30. I'm not saying that he's quite finished yet, but Liverpool are looking at a potential future centre-back who plays on the left. Am I right? Left side of centre central defence, anyway. Yeah, it's a player we've I think we've spoken about on the pod before. It's got um, Goncalo Inacio, um, Sporting Lisbon defender. Um, I'll tell you what, Portugal have some a really good class of centre halves coming through. Don't know. We discussed. We discussed. Antonio uh, Silva and Inacio yeah, Antonio and Ruben Diaz. <laughs> it's remarkable, isn't it? It's <laughs> sensational. This Portuguese squad is very, very strong. Um, I think they they might be the new golden generation. We've seen Belgium um, fail. We discussed Eden Hazard the other day, but I think it's golden generation. Portugal now is coming through. Yeah, but Goncalo Nacho, left footed centre half, Sporting Lisbon, fantastic player. Um, we know we know United, Man United have looked, but. I, I personally doubt that United, when they do bring a new centre-half in, will go for a left-footer. Um, I know Ten Hag said he likes a lefty and a righty. And we know Martinez, long-term, is the left side of centre-half for United. So I do wonder whether United would be spending £60 million on someone like Ineacho as opposed to someone like Silva. But Ineacho, he's got a lot of English clubs looking at him. He's a wonderful talent, comfortable on the ball. And, and our understanding is that Liverpool were in attendance um, as Portugal beat Bosnia 5-0. Um, with our old friend Ronaldo on the score sheet yet again, um, keeping up his remarkable form. Um, and they also got a chance to see Pedro Neto. He came on late in the game. But yeah, when you see that that um, entire squad. But Nacho played, kept a clean sheet. He was, And he partnered Ruben Diaz, as you say, Scott, um, at the centre of that defence. And um, ahead of Diego Costa in goal, and the goalkeeper as well, sensational goalkeeper. It's, it's, as I said, um, salivating its prospect as the Portuguese lineup. But yeah, Nacho... He's very high up on their list, you know. Pedro Hincape, the um, Ecuadorian, I think uh, so. Yeah, uh, by There's a lot of good young centre halves around there, but this Portuguese batch are particularly impressive. But it's they won't come cheap, Scott. Anyone want Inacio or Silva? It's a minimum sixty million now mm. to get any of them. T- Toby, we Graham just mentioned there that this might be the new golden generation, the Portugal team, and Belgium's golden generation didn't win the big one. Who were they managed by? Roberto Martinez. Excellent point. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> over, overlooking England as the golden generation, obviously. Yeah, that's a very good point. I missed that. That's a very good point. So, uh, who's to say? Maybe maybe second time lucky for Bobby Martinez. They, they, I think they were 5-0 up in Bosnia by half-time last night. Which is- it's impressive that, and when you look at that Bosnian team, that Bosnian team, it's not you think five nil minnows. When you look through that Bosnian team, it's full Easy. of pretty, pretty good players. It is. I mean, you can talk about the strength of the Portugal team by looking at the transfer market. Who are the players that we've been speaking about for the last three, six months consistently? We spent a lot some time talking about Jao Neves last week, who nobody's 
Exactly. Really Jean, heard of yet. Yeah, we've got João Neves, we had João Cancelo, João Paulinha, uh, Goncalo Ramos moved in the summer, Bernardo Silva we were talking about all summer long, João Felix. Portugal have got a lot of players who are wanted by the very biggest clubs in the world if they're not playing for them already. And as you touched on there, Graham, I think Pedro Neto is playing his way into consideration for a lot of big clubs. He was on the radar prior to his serious knee injury, wasn't he? We know Arsenal still retain a strong interest in him. I think if he continues his form, we're going to see a number of leading clubs looking at Pedro Neto because he seems to be getting better and better. And we could just mention, I forgot, my bad, forgot to mention, João Neves, who we talked about on the show last week, he came on for Portugal as well in this game. Another player Liverpool looked at. But, but the players that didn't come on in this game, João Paulinho, Ramos, Bernardo Silva, didn't even get on the pitch. So it tells us how... Um, who has, how a, better, who has a better squad then, England or Portugal? as it stands. Squad? Squad is Portugal. Because I think England's defence is ropey, to say the least. Um, in terms of attacking midfield talent, I think England have got as good as anybody in the world. But Portugal have probably still got the depth there as well. They've got... Yeah, felt like Felix and, Cancelo, Felix and Cancelo coming good now. And, uh, and although, as, as, as Scott knows, I'm not Bruno Fernandes' biggest fan, but I think when he puts a Portuguese shirt on, I think he takes his. He a looks a different goal player. in that game. Maybe, oh, maybe he looks goal. a different player. Um, so I'd say squad-wise, yeah, um, I'd go with. Um, considering Harry Maguire and Calvin Phillips are in the England squad, you've got to go Portugal, France as well in the mix. And then you got you look at some other. I know it's, it's an international break. We're going to talk about England in a second as well. International break. So France will be at the Euros. You got England and Portugal really on paper look at those teams and think maybe they've got a good shot of winning. You can never really rule out Germany, even though they've had a bit of a nightmare. But talking of golden generation, Scott, the one golden generation who won't be there is Norway. Arguably, arguably, they they have have a playoff option, Graham. But don't, but don't because, well, if you look at the nations they qualify and they're they're really way down the pecking order. So even getting through that is going to be difficult. I don't, I think, I looked at this before, I think in terms of Nations League, they're not going to get through that because they are low down in the pecking order, but not one of the top teams in terms of that bracket. I think Norway are out. And and look at that squad. They've arguably got the two best players in the Premier League, you could argue, in Haaland and Odegaard. That's some disappointment for Norway to go out like they do. But, you know, they got beat at home 1-0 to Spain. So, you know, it was in their own hands, wasn't it, to to give themselves a chance. But when you look at their team, it's phenomenal. I think mathematically they're not completely out of it. Qualifying confuses me because, as you say, it depends on Nations League, but... They can come third, right? I think it's dependent on how Serbia get on in Group G because of Serbia's performance mm. in the Nations but it, League. Yeah, it's not based on the third place finishes, though, is it? It's based on your Nations League performance. So if you mm-hmm. finish third, there's teams who are going to finish fifth who will get the Nations League chance that Norway won't. Yes, there are some decent accounts out there that break break all this down for you. I think I've been, I've been following at we underscore global, we global football recently to try and get my head around what the hell is happening. Uh, they break things down pretty well, and yeah, well, trying to last look. At, I, I don't last, think Norway are out of it yet. I don't think they performed. I think it's because they performed really badly last time I looked at Norway. Um, don't get in purely down to the Nations League performance, which I must admit I didn't keep a close eye on. But I think they should have kept a better close on eye on themselves because it's going to come back to haunt them. Anyway, let's talk England. Gareth Southgate. Get in some criticism, which is 
pretty regular. Uh, maybe he does bring it on himself at times. He, 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 uh, whether that's down to the playing style or whether it's down to this player hasn't really done enough to convince me that he should play this game in this position. But yeah, he will call up players who aren't getting a minute of football. You mentioned Calvin Phillips there. Signed by Manchester City, overlooked completely for Bernardo Silva, who is not a number six in their biggest game of the season so far, really, at Arsenal, which they which they ended up losing. You've got Harry Maguire, who's still in the in the mix. You've got other players as well. I mean, that I'm sure you guys know better than me all of the, the fallout. But is this going to be Gareth Southgate's final nine months, Toby, as England manager? Yeah, I can't see him staying beyond Euro 2024. I think he's already... Has he publicly said that he's leaving after that? He signed that contract. He signed no, he that contract. Said, he, hasn't said, he hasn't stated yet. Yeah, but I think that's just the undercurrent. That's the feeling that we get. I think Southgate has taken the group as far as he can and he's done remarkable work with England. Um, so much has been achieved over the past five years, both on the pitch and off the pitch as well. I think England's camp is more harmonic than it's ever been. But there is this blind loyalty, as you've just touched on, Scott, um, to certain players. You know, Calvin Phillips, unfortunately, shouldn't be near the squad at the moment. Harry Maguire shouldn't be near the squad. And I know England have got some injury uh, concerns at the moment, and we may point to that as being a reason for those two players being in. But when you see inform players, uh, James Ward-Prowse springs to mind from a West Ham perspective. I know he doesn't play the same role as Calvin Phillips, but you do think, what more has he got to do to earn an opportunity in the England squad when Calvin Phillips isn't playing at all? He was overlooked for Rico Lewis in that clash at Arsenal. Um, an 18-year-old who is a fullback by trade was being asked to fill in for a position that Calvin Phillips has played all of his career, but he's still in the England squad. It doesn't make sense to me, and I think Southgate will get England through to Euro 2024. I would anticipate England will do quite well in the tournament, but I think, again, that's more to do with the quality of player that England have got now rather than the manager. And it will then come to a head after that where Southgate will will walk away from the role. I don't think England would ever sack him from the position, regardless of performance. And I think Southgate, then Graham, would want to turn his hand to club management again and see what he can do there. So, Graham, yeah, talk to us about maybe what Southgate could do or who could replace him in the England Yeah, hockey. Southgate, I hope he does a lot better club management than he did last time at our beloved Middlesbrough. You know, it, it's, it's hard to talk about Southgate because he's, it's, I appreciate, it's a bit very much like the Ollie, Ollie situation you had at United, Scott, where absolute legend as a player, love him, will always ever be in your heart, but when it comes to management, he was lacking. Bit like that with Southgate and Middlesbrough at the time, but in terms of the England squad, yeah, it's our understanding that the FA is still waiting on Southgate, and and if, if he wants to stay, they will facilitate that. We'll offer him a new contract, however long he wants to stay. He can write, he can write his own contract, really. Um, if he wants to stay, the FA will allow him to. However, as you say, Toby, the expectation is that, like Graham, I think that'll drive people mad. <laughs> the expectation is that he, and I think he's, he's he's done a very good job. It's a tough, it's a tough gig. It is, and I I, I don't agree with some of his selections. I, I don't agree with this playing the two holding midfielders. I never have, but I think he's done a good job, and he has been loyal 
to a fault, really, Toby, as you say, with some of these players. But then the problem I have with his loyalty is, <clears throat> but why does that not extend to Raheem Sterling? Or is Raheem Sterling not in the squad due to a fallout with Trent Alexander-Arnold, which is the rumours, you know? I mean, it needs to come out. I think he needs to come out and be a bit more concise with that because there's no reason that um, a loyal servant of Southgate like Sterling, who has played for him a lot, why isn't he in the squad? It's a strange one that to cope with. And obviously the big one is why Max Kilman's not in the head of Maguire, but we'll come back to that. Um, the, um, but in terms of replacements, yeah, and, and the FA are doing their due diligence. They are looking around and, to seeing what, what there is. And it's our understanding that Eddie Howe is seen as a very serious candidate. And we've done a story today, you can read it on 90 Min, yeah, that if, if Southgate was to walk away, the FA would see Eddie Howe as a leading candidate. And I just think it, it's a common sense approach from the FA. If you look around now, how is the one? Obviously, the Newcastle fans are, are not. Um, I've already got a lot of flack on social media about this. I, I, I have. I, I, I had to reread the story. I didn't know I'd posted that Eddie Howe wants to leave Newcastle and join England. The reaction you would think is that's what I've said, which I haven't said. Um, but it's just that the FA would target him. They like him a lot. He's not the only candidate. You know, the like Pep Guardiola. Will he walk away from City at the end of the season? You can't say no. We, do we know what Pep's got to do come this summer? We, we very, very, very rarely do. He's got another year in his deal to say that. They like Steve Cooper a lot, the FA. He did a one, no. He did, <laughs> he did a wonderful job in 2017 when he won mm -hmm. the, within the 17s, was it? He won the World Cup. And significantly, I think, with him, a lot of those players have now transitioned into the senior squad, none more so than the mighty Phil Foden, obviously who led that team. So it's an interesting one. Um, and it's a fast, I think it's a good position that the FA are in. There's, there's good candidates out there. Um, you know, it, would Eddie Howe be persuaded to leave Newcastle for the England job? Not as it stands now, but we don't know when Newcastle are going to finish. Yeah, they're on a high now, they're beating PSG in the next round. If they fail to finish top five, and go out of the Champions League and don't win silverware. The pressure will be massively on Eddie Howe. So I think we've got to see how that the landscape at Newcastle um, becomes a bit more clear. Graham, then... do we not think that that might be quite a natural fit in terms of the timings? You look at mm. maybe if Southgate walks away now after however long he's had with England, mm. it, that needs to change. You've got Eddie Howe in there who, you know, maybe even the most passionate Newcastle fan could probably admit that at some point the ownership that they have will want a higher profile name than Eddie Howe. Yeah, I, I think that as well. But the FA, from their part, I think they look at it, Scott, and say, look, we could hand the, the most talented England squad of all time over to someone. And I think Eddie Howe, we've seen his man-to-man -man management in Newcastle. He's getting the tune out of Dan Byrne. He's getting the tune out of Fabian Shah. What, he, what would he be able to do with Jude Bellingham and Phil Foden and the like? You know, I think it's mouthwatering what Eddie Howe could do in England. I think Eddie Howe, you know, the, the World Cup would only be two years away. It wouldn't. It's not a long slog. And they're going to be guaranteed qualifiers. I think him and Jason Tindley's back room, I think Eddie Howe would suit being an international manager. Whether it comes a bit early for him, you know, I, I'm not. I'm not so sure. Toby's imagining Jason Tyndall on the touchdown. absolutely. I am. Um, exactly how, yeah, how and Tyndall would. Look, I, 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 I love the way I watch a lot of Newcastle games, and I cover a lot of Newcastle games for 90 Men, and I love watching Jason Tyndall on the sideline. Where it's the, the way them two have the good cop and bad cop on the sideline, where Jason Tyndall is in that fourth official's ear for 90 minutes. And that, the, and then the good cop Eddie Howe can get on with this stuff. I love the way they work on the sideline. I think it's brilliant, and I think them two. The more you think about it, I think they'd be a 
a brilliant fit for England. I really do. I can see why the FA is very high in the FA's list. It's clear. Happy with that, Tom? I think Eddie Howe's absolutely got himself into the reckoning, hasn't he? There was raised eyebrows when he took over at Newcastle because he'd done an exceptionally good job at Bournemouth, but there was always that stigma that Bournemouth conceded so many goals when they were in the Premier League under him. But Newcastle... That's their best part of their game. Absolutely. So clearly there is something there. And they weren't like that before. It's not as if Newcastle have bought a glut of central defenders in to fix the problem. Sure, Sven Botman came in. He's been an exceptionally good signing for them. But Fabian Scher was already there. The big uh, PSG, he beat PSG with Jamal LaSalle and Fabian Scher. It's remarkable. Absolutely. And I think you have to look at that and credit the work that Eddie Howe has done on the training grounds. And the results speak for themselves. Newcastle are on an upward trajectory, not only because of the players that they brought in, but because of who the manager is. He signed a new long-term contract in August 2022, but I have the same feeling as you, Scott. This journey at Newcastle will come to an end at some point because I believe for Newcastle to go to the next level and to maybe attract the next calibre of player, they will need to bring in a manager who has achieved something at the very highest level of the game, has won a league, or everybody wants to play for them. I don't think... Eddie Howe, as much as he's brought unity to that Newcastle dressing room, will ever have that pull. But at the same time, he would be the perfect person from the outlook outside looking in to go and continue the work that Gareth Southgate has done in terms of harmonising the England dressing room. And I think Newcastle's players do a lot of what they do for Eddie Howe. And that's what would make him a good appointment for England. Sean Longstaff for England. You know, it's been... Well, be some there would be some happy new there would be some very happy Newcastle players, you know, Trippier, Nick Pope, and the like, you know, there'd be uh, Callum Wilson, um, of a few of those, um, maybe Anthony Gordon, yeah, more so. Well, some of them will go to America in twenty twenty six. Some of them won't. Immediate concerns for Eddie Howe, Bill, Sandra Tonali, Graham. What's going on? Uh, some. Some trouble. Let's just say that you 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 break that break down what's happening for us. Yeah, there's an ongoing investigation. Um, prosecutors in Turin um, and and police in Italy are looking into allegations of um, a betting scandal. Um, it first emerged last week. Um, Nicolo Fagioli, Fagiolo, sorry, the Juventus midfielder was not arrested but quizzed by police. And he's, uh, okay. yeah. he, he's a right he's time. Yeah, he's um, he's admitted to um, betting um, on football, it seems, um, which is the issue, real issue here. There's there's things around what, where were these bets take place? Who was doing it? Um, and Sandro Tenoli and Nicola Zaniola were not arrested, but they were quizzed by prosecutors about their part in in this. It is a scandal now. Um, lots of reports doing the rounds in, and, and 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 they're right in the fact that if if Tonali was betting on football using whatever illegal app, he could face a three-year ban, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. From what I'm being told in Italy at the moment, from contacts, is that yes, he was betting, but not on football, which is a huge. That's the thing, you know. If he was if he was playing poker or something online more of a slap on the wrist than if he was betting on football. That's the thing. We, we haven't had confirmation either way. Newcastle aren't commenting. They're keeping their powder dry. 
you know, as it stands, I'm being told Tonali hasn't bet on football. That's what we're hearing. Um, no confirmation yet, but obviously he has. He, he had to leave the Italy squad. Zaniolo and Tonali not involved as we speak on Tuesday night to play England, which is a big thing. Um, Spalletti, the new coach, has been talking about it again today. So, yeah, we haven't got any confirmation either way, Scott, but from what I'm being told, Tonali hasn't bet on football, which is the big thing. So he isn't looking, he isn't likely to, to get a huge ban or of any significance or a ban of any significance on the back of what's been going on. But we'll have to see what the prosecutors come up with in Italy. I've just been uh, checking my social media feed for the reaction to your story on Eddie Howe. And yeah, there's some... Uh... To, to be fair, I think that's just a mark of how high regard he's held in yeah, Scott and yeah. Tyneside. Um, and, you know, I think, obviously, with my Middlesbrough background, some Newcastle fans still seem to forget how many Newcastle stories I do. And um, they think it's a, me trying to dig away. But I think, it's a, it, I think the Newcastle fans and anyone listening needs to take it as a sign of respect. It just shows how well he's doing at Newcastle. Speaking of um, social media and speaking of scandals, I've just seen something from the Turin prosecutor's office separate to the Sandro Tonali um, scandal. Rumours of match fixing through agreements between the players on the number of cards that players would have received in which referees and managers would also be involved. That's coming from La La Repubblica in Italy. So that's not confirmed, but surely we're not going to have another scandal in Italy involving match fixing. It's, it's, it's staggering, yeah. It, it's, and I think that's also an indication, isn't it, guys, of how seriously it's why you know we, we've seen Ivan Tony banned for whatever eight months for doing hundreds, hundreds of bets. You know, I think this is why Italy are viewing this differently, where they've had a history of issues in the sport, haven't we, in terms of match fixing, which I think where's the stems from, which is why if a player was found to be betting on football, they would be facing a three-year ban. You know, we, we think of that as quite harsh over here, but I think, as you say, Toby, it's this history of match fixing scandal in Italy, which is why they're taking it very seriously. Yes, indeed. Uh, we'll follow that one, and I'm sure that will develop over the next few weeks. Final topic of today's show is a young Belgian midfielder who is on the radar of Manchester City, Tottenham and Arsenal. Just made his debut for Belgium. Plays for Antwerp, Arte Vermeeren. Uh, now, Belgium's golden generation, as we've already discussed on this show, has uh, come and gone. And I was myself looking at the Belgian team sheet for some of these recent matches the other day and thinking, oh, it's a big drop-off. Uh, but is there another golden generation coming along? And is this lad the potential leader of it, Graham? They've got some players. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't class it as a whole generation, you know, um, still lacking in defence for me. Um, although I do like Atatia, um at Wren. But yeah, this guy's special. Um, I was thinking about United, actually. The United who led the way in these... Um, feeder club system didn't they and Royal Antwerp was was one of your clubs wasn't they it? were so, one yeah unfortunately you've let them go too early because Antwerp have got an absolute little superstar in the hands here Arthur Vermeer and he really is from what I'm being told speak to scouts who've seen a lot more of him than I have they think he's special um, I understand that Man City Arsenal Tottenham have all inquired about him he's 18 but so by Munich Dortmund Juventus Barcelona as well who even looked in the summer at him He's a special player. I say, Scott, he's, made, he's only made his debut, senior debut for Belgium this week against Austria. I think he was involved in the Sweden game before that, that was postponed. Um, 
but yeah, a special player in midfield, likened as they always are. You can you don't need to tell me, guys. He's obviously a new De Bruyne. Of course, he is. Um, isn't everyone who comes to Belgium at some point of a new Hazard? But this in this case, the new De Bruyne, special player. Um, looks a bit like De Bruyne actually. Um, but yeah, really good. Keep an eye on him. I think he'll he'll go past January. He'll finish the season with Antwerp, who were I think putting in a good title charge. Are they? Um, last time I looked at Belgium, although that was a few weeks ago, I think. But one for next summer, keep an eye on him. A lot of huge clubs really, really like him. And uh, there's something a bit special about him, from what I'm being told. One of the perfect ones to snap up early on FM24, Toby. Absolutely. Um, Belgium do have a few players coming through. Vermeeren, they've also got um, Johan Bakayoko forward. Jeremy Doku is only 21, don't forget. I think he's going to achieve big things. Romeo Lavia, who we're yet to see at Chelsea and we're not going to see for the next six weeks or so as he struggles with injury. So I think there are some emerging prospects there. Um, oh, not, not, not do Luton down. The fact they've called Thomas Kaminsky up a Luton goalkeeper doesn't fill me with an awful lot of thought. <laughs> well, Vermeeren, the list of clubs you've just reeled off there, Graham, are the biggest clubs in the world. So if you've got everybody watching you, there's clearly something about your talent. He's, he's not really played that many games for Antwerp, has he? He's probably in the 20s or 30s, but they won the title last year. And I think he mm. made a bit of a, an impact in the side, didn't he? And he's been a more regular starter this year. OK, they got walloped by Barcelona in the Champions League, but they got to see him at a high level. And I don't think he looked out of place, which is the key thing. And Van Bommel, I think he's got a very good manager there at Antwerp at the minute. He's learning a lot from uh, Matt Van Bommel, who's in charge at the minute. There you have it. Keep an ear out and an eye out for Arthur Vermeeren, who could be one of the next super promising players to make a big move to one of Europe's or maybe even the Premier League's giants. We've talked Portugal's new golden generation. England are going to be in there as well. This is an international break, so there's been a bit of an international edge to today's talking transfers. But obviously, lots of topics to dig into. And uh, let us know what you think. If you've been listening along and you have any thoughts, get in touch with us on social media at double underscore Scott Saunders, at Graham Bailey, at Toby underscore Cudworth, and at 90min underscore football for all of the latest from our team. Please subscribe to the show on all your major podcast platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, and the likes. And uh, give us a follow on those socials, as I mentioned as well. From Scott, Toby, and Graham from Talking Transfers. This has been it for this week. See you soon for another Talking Transfers episode and have a fantastic week, everyone. The Premier League is back this weekend and the transfer window in January is approaching. We'll see you next time. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.